Again, today we resume our study of the history of the formation of the church recorded in the book of Acts. And that's really what uh, the study is. It's the Acts of the Apostles, but really it's the, the history, the actual history of the formation of the church. And that is what we are studying. And again, as we're about a third of the way through our study, uh, I want to remind us this morning of what we are seeing. And I want us to, to see what we've already seen, what we've already discovered in these first 10 chapters. And that is this. The first thing, we are seeing that the church is special. The church is special. It is not like anything else. It is not like a social club. It is not like the Rotary Club. It is not like a business organization. It is not like a company, like, like a corporation. The church is special. And that's what we've been seeing. The church is special. The Bible says it is the body of Christ. It is made up of those that are believers, those that are saved by faith in Christ, and they are commissioned to carry out the mission of Jesus Christ. And so understand, the church is special. Today, a sad thing is the, the truth that not only does the world want to make it less than special, but it seems in the age in which we're living, believers treat it as less than special as well. And you can say, well, we have a high esteem for the church, but if you look at our actions, uh, we treat it like it is no big deal. Uh, we treat it like, well, it is something that I might participate or I might get to when I have a little free time or I might uh, come to it, I might check it out if there is a need in my life. And, and it is a sad thing when believers treat the church as less than special. But I also want us to see today, and I, I, I want us to get this, it is not just special, it is also supernatural. The church is not just special, it's not just like unlike anything else, it is also supernatural. Understand, it is made up of believers that are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, it is informed and it's instructed by the Word of God that is living and active, and it is empowered by God Himself And the church, understand, is a supernatural thing. Let me ask the question, do you believe that? Do we believe that today? Do we expect a supernatural movement of God in His church? Is that what you woke up expecting today? Do you expect a supernatural movement of God through His church? Listen to me this morning. We sure should. The church is supernatural. I, I believe that we, I, I wish that we believed that today. The church is a supernatural thing. In our study, we've been seeing those two things. The church is special and the church is supernatural. Well, today in our study, we're going to see those two things again. The church is special and the church is supernatural. Now, today we continue a set of 48 verses that we began last week, I, I thought we would get through this week. Well, surprise, we're not going to get through this week. Um, our message today, again, is entitled, Good News of Great Joy for All People. Again, we're in Acts chapter 10, the first 48 verses, but today we're going to look at verses 23 through 33. Acts chapter 10, today verses 23 
through 33. I'm going to ask if you would, if you'd stand with me in the reverence and the honor of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 10, beginning in verse 23, it says this. So he invited them in and gave them lodging. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. And he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked, for what reason have you sent for me? Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon, the tanner, by the sea. So I sent for you immediately and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, when we were all here present before the Lord, to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today and I'm thankful for a church. Lord, I'm thankful for a special church, not something normal, not something that mimics the clubs and the organizations of the world, but something that you instituted. Lord, I'm thankful for a supernatural church where, where, where God moves and God works, a church that God empowers. Lord, I praise you. I thank you for the grace shown to us in your church. Lord, I pray now as we begin to study this morning, I pray that we would have ears that are open. I pray that we would have hearts that are receptive. I pray that we would have minds that are listening. And I pray that you would teach us today. I, I pray, Lord, that this would be truly a supernatural event, that the living God would speak, Lord, that you would speak to us this morning. Lord, I pray that your church will be built up today. I pray that your church will be encouraged today. I pray that your church will be strengthened today. And I pray the result will be that the gospel would go out and Jesus, our King, would be glorified. Lord, we're thankful for the opportunity we have to stand here today. Lord, I know some do not have that opportunity. Lord, I, I praise you for the opportunity, the grace you've given us to assemble today. Lord, I pray that you're known and you're blessed through it. We trust this to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you remember last week as I started the 48 verses, I told you that God is doing something profound in these 48 verses. God is doing something really tremendous in these 48 verses. And really we need to look at all 48 verses. And that's what I told you. It is, it is best to look at all 48 verses. God is doing a tremendous thing 
and all of the pieces are necessary. But you also remember that I told you that time would forbid it. And so we would do the best that we could do. Well, last week we made it through 23 verses, and we're going we're gonna to do the same this week. We're going to build on that. We're going to do the best that we can do. Now, let me set the context for you very quickly, a, a kind of a skim over. Cornelius is a Gentile in Caesarea. He is a pagan. He is not a Jew, and he lives in Caesarea. The Bible says that he had a vision. He was a good man. He was a devout man. He knew. He prayed to the God uh, Jehovah, the God of the Jews, and in his time of prayer at three in the afternoon that he had a vision, and in his vision, God tells him to send for a man named Peter, a man named Simon in Joppa. Now remember also in those verses, some 30 miles away in Joppa, Peter, the apostle, has also had a vision. And I believe his is an even stranger vision. And in his vision, God is showing him that the gospel and ultimately salvation is for all people. Now it is a, it is a deep context, but that is really the, the point of his vision. The, the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it is for all people. Now, there was a lot of great stuff that happened in those 23 verses, uh, a lot of good points we could pull out of those 23 verses, but two of my favorite were the truths that most times, in fact, many times, God is working when we can't see it. And that's one of the truths that we saw in those verses. Many times, God is working, God is doing something, and we're not even seeing it. We're not even aware of it. And as Peter is praying over here, he doesn't know what God is doing with Cornelius over there. And so God many times is doing something that we are not aware of. The second truth that we saw last week is that sometimes God is doing something in our life that's going to impact somebody else's life. You see, we're pretty self-focused. We like to think about us and, and what is God showing me? What is God doing in my life, but a lot of the time, God may be doing something in our life that's going to impact somebody else's life. And we see that in those verses. Well, today we move forward with the account. We move forward in our verses. Picking back up this morning at the, the, the verse 23. <coughs> so he invited them in and gave them lodging. We ended with that last week. The second part of verse 23 says this. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And on the next day, he got up and went away with them. And some of the brethren from Joppa accompanied him. Now, the Bible tells us that they go in, those, this delegation from Cornelius, they go in with Peter and they stay in the house. They lodge there in the house. Now, these two groups that were separated, one group, a Jewish group, one a Gentile, a pagan group, one group that hated the other group, they have stayed together. This group that was far off has been brought near. They've stayed together. They've lodged together in the house. Well, the Bible says the next day, Peter got up and he went with Cornelius' delegation. He sent these men to get him. 
And Peter gets up and he goes with those men. Now, the verse says some of the brethren, talking about believers, some of the believers, some of the Jewish Christians also went with him. Now, we'll get there, I don't know, in a couple weeks, but in chapter 11, we read that it was six other men, six other men. There's going to be seven to testify in Jerusalem of what happens. And so that's going to be significant later. There's going to be seven folks to testify of what goes on in chapter 10. And so six others go with Peter. All right, verse 24. On the following day, he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Now, we have seen from reading the back and forth of this account, evidently it is more than a one-day trip. It's really about a day and a half trip, uh, pushing a two-day trip. And so the Bible says they leave on this one day, but on the next day they make it to Caesarea. Now, I want you to see the picture here. I want you to start to build the picture of what is going on here. It says when they enter, Cornelius is waiting for them. And so here's the delegation of three. And then now here's Peter and the six. And they've made the trip, the two-day trip, and now they have entered in. And when they enter in, now, now see this, as they push in, Cornelius is waiting for them. He is anticipating their coming. He has been looking forward to their coming. Now, the Bible says not only Cornelius, it says that he had called together his relatives and his close friends. And so continue on with that picture. He is, Cornelius is there and he is waiting. Cornelius is there and he is anticipating, but he has called more uh, to join him. He's called his relatives. He's called his family members. He's called his close friends, all of the people that he loved, all of the people that he cared about. He has also called them to be there. Now, I think we need to see this. I think we need to notice this. Notice this. God didn't tell him to do that. Did you notice that? God doesn't say, Cornelius, round up your friends and your, and your family, all those that you love, have them waiting when he gets there. God doesn't command him to do that. He, said, he doesn't say anything about that. No, Cornelius did this. This was Cornelius' idea. He gets his family together. He gets his friends together. Why? Let me ask you that. Why? Friends, it's because he was expecting God to do Something great. Nobody told him to invite those folks. He was expecting God to do something great. He didn't send for them and say, well, in case something goes on, you might want to be here. He doesn't send for them and say, well, maybe it's been, a, it's been a tremendous thing so far. Maybe God will do something. He was sure God was going to move. Friends, let me ask you a question today. This is for us. If you knew, listen to me, if, if you knew God was going to speak and if you knew God was going to do something great, 
I'm talking about you're convinced of it if you knew it. God, the living God, he is going to speak and he's going to do something great. Wouldn't you change your schedule if you had to? Wouldn't you adapt your schedule and your plan if you had to? Wouldn't you be sure that you would not miss it? Let me ask you, if you were sure that God was going to speak, if you were sure that God was going to do something great, wouldn't you call some folks up and say, hey, you're going to want to be there? Wouldn't you get your phone out and text some folks and say, hey, you're not going to want to miss this? Maybe you'd go to the next door neighbor's house. Maybe you'd drive across town and you'd knock on the door and say, you know what? God is going to speak. God is going to do something because, you know, they can't afford to miss it as well. So you still say the church is supernatural? Is that what we did this morning? Is that what we did this morning? Do we adjust our plans to make sure we're going to be here? Do we get excited and call some folks and say, you know what, God is going to speak. I expect it. God is going to move. Did we get a hold of our neighbors? Did we act accordingly? You see, Cornelius believed God was going to move And so nobody had to tell him he went and got his beloved family members and his friends and he said, listen, this guy's coming to town and you'll want to be there. God is going to move. Verse 25. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshiped him. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet and worshipped him. It's actually one word in the Greek, in the original language. It's one word that means he fell down and he revered him. It's an act of worship. He, He fell down and he revered him, verse 26. But Peter raised him up saying, stand up. I too am just a man. Peter says to him, no, get up. In one of the translations, he actually says, what are you doing? No, get up. I too am just a man. I want you to see this. Just a few days earlier, not that many days earlier, Peter would have said, I am a man, but I am a Jewish man. And you are a pagan. You are a cast off. You are a Gentile. I consider you less than a dog. And so he would have said, I am a man, but you are no man at all. Well, now it says, Peter says, I am like you. Look at the language. I too am also just a man. I think the key word there is that word just. Over and over and over again, as we move through the pages of Scripture, I want you to see this. Over and over and over again, the ground at the foot of the cross is leveled ground. Boy, do you believe that? We better believe that. The the ground at the foot of the cross is level ground. There's not somebody that has an easier trip to the cross. There's not somebody that's got a better access to the cross. There's not a Jewish ascent to the cross. There's not a a way for males to get to the cross or a better way than females might have. There's not a, a different skin color approach to the cross. There's not a rich person's access to the cross. 
Peter says, I am like you. I am a man. And like you as a man, I need a Savior. And the ground at the foot of the cross is level ground. Wow, what, a, what an awesome revelation the Jews have had. You know what? It's equal footing. It's an equal approach to the cross of Calvary. Now, I want to point this out. because we, we better be sure of it. There are some that teach, some that practice, there are some that revere certain saints and certainly the apostles. And you hear them and they'll pray to certain saints. They'll revere certain apostles and they worship them and they honor them. I want you to be, I want you to be sure as we watch through the history of the church, that is false worship of a false religion. Peter says, no, this is the apostle Peter. He says, no, get up. I'm a man like you. No, you do not worship me. Get up. That is a false worship of a false religion. All right, verse 27. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. As he talked with him, he entered and found many people assembled. Now, I, I try to picture, and I, remember, we're building the picture here. See what's happening here. Uh, I try to picture this, and really, this is a pretty comical verse. Peter comes up. They make the trip there. This delegation makes it back to Cornelius. He walks up. He has this episode with Cornelius. He stands Cornelius back up, and he walks in. And the Bible says, and he walks in and he found many people assembled. Now, I want to I show you, I went and looked this word up. He found many people assembled. That, that word for many, the Greek word for many, means a great number. It means a large number. Another translation is a vast number. The, the best thing I can find is it is not a few he doesn't walk through and find a few people. There is a vast number of people in the room. There's a bunch of people that have assembled. The, root, the word for assemble means they have come together. He, he, he walks in. Now picture this. He makes his way in, and as he steps in, the gang is all there. There's not just a few folks there. There is a crowd there. There's all the weird cousins there, and there's his favorite aunt, and there's the friends from work, and there's the next-door neighbor, and there's the folks that I couldn't just shut out, and all of the gang has assembled. And he walks in, and they're looking at Peter. I think that's a kind of a comical verse. He doesn't know what's going to be in there. He walks in and the whole gang's there and they're looking at him. Verse 28. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. Keep on with that picture. The people are looking at Peter, and Peter is looking at them. They've been waiting. We heard about a vision that Cornelius had, and we're not sure what's about to happen here. Cornelius 
is sure that God's going to speak, that God's going to move. And so they've been invited there. And so when Peter walks in, they're all looking at Peter. And Peter walks in, and he doesn't expect to see such a crowd. And so I, I imagine Peter is looking at all of them. And I imagine there's got to be a great pause. Maybe they're talking and laughing. Maybe they're, maybe they're sitting there waiting. And all of a sudden, he walks in, and it gets quiet. And they start to look, this is, the, this is the guy. This is the one they sent for him. And Peter walks in, and he knows he's had a vision. He knows God's up to something. He doesn't know what it is. And he walks in, and now there's a crowd. And I imagine there's a pause. And Peter breaks the silence. Peter starts off, and he says, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for me, a Jew, to even be here. And he, he says that because they would have known it. He says, you know, you know I can't be here. You know I shouldn't be here. And they're waiting to see, is he going to come into our midst? They knew. They knew his religion says, you know what, if he comes in here, he's unclean. If he comes in here, he's cut off. If he comes in here, it's because he's dishonoring his God just by being here. And every time they've dealt with a Jew in the past, Every time they've got around them, if they were nice, they would just overlook them. They would just ignore them. They would see through them, but that's if they were nice. If they weren't nice, they would scowl at them, and they might hiss at them. They might spit in their direction. They would for sure make a way around them. They would ignore them. Peter says, you yourselves know I should not associate with you. But, Peter understands the vision that he's had. Peter understands, Peter gets the message that God has given him. And yes, the example was the food there, but it really wasn't about the food. God has made it clear to the apostle Peter as the church is starting, as the church is launching, that Peter, you should not call any man unholy or unclean. Verse 29, Peter says, that's why I came without even raising an objection. Remember when he had the sheet lowered down, he said, oh no, I'll not eat any of that. No, no, Lord, I won't eat that. But now he understands the truth. And so when he says, go with these men into a pagan land, go into their house, associate with them, he goes and he says, I did it without even making an objection. That is why I went. I want you to see this. All of these people are watching. And every Gentile eye in the room is peeled on him. And I want you to understand this. Just his being there made a statement. You understand that? Just his being there made a statement. When he walked in, they were waiting to see what he was going to do. They were waiting to see how he's going to respond. And just his being there declared to these folks, you know what, God hasn't forgotten you. You know what, God has a plan for you. You're not a cast off any longer. His plan has included you. And just his being there has declared, God has salvation for you. The end of verse 29, Peter says, so I ask, I came without hesitation. I came without objection. Into verse 29 he says, And so I ask, what reason have you sent for me? Why have you sent for me? I go back to those truths from last week. God's plan a lot of times bigger than we can see. And he doesn't evidently know the full plan. He doesn't know why he's there. 
And, and that, that, that truth that God's doing sometimes something in our life that's going to impact somebody else's life. God's been doing some tremendous things in the life of Peter, but he doesn't understand the impact it's about to carry, and he really doesn't even know. And so he asks, why have you sent for me? What is the question that you have for me? Just as being there was a testimony. Verse 30. So I ask what reason have you sent for me? Verse 30. Cornelius said, four days ago to this very hour, to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. Verse 31. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms have been remembered before God. All right, now here's the message in verse 32. Here's the message that Cornelius heard. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. Therefore, the message to, to Cornelius, God says, Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. He is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. God said here in this verse, sin for Peter. Now I want you to stay with me. I want you to follow along very closely. If you're, if you're going to sleep, wake up for just a minute. There is a big theological revelation about to happen in this verse. Now listen very carefully. There is a huge theological revelation, understanding about to be revealed here in this verse. Cornelius is praying. And in this vision, God says, send for Peter. You'll find him at this house, send for Peter. Now follow with me. Listen very carefully. If you can be saved by any means, then why by all means didn't God just save him? Now I want you to think about that. Listen to that question very carefully. If you can be saved by any means, then by all means, why didn't God just save him right there? If being a good person is what matters, why didn't God just say, you're a good person, I declare you saved? Why didn't God just save him? If being a person of prayer is what matters, people say that all the time, well, I pray, well, well they pray. Well, if being a person of prayer is what matters, why didn't God just save him? If being an honorable person in the community, being a respected leader in the community, being a hard worker in the community is what matters, why didn't God just save him? If you can be saved by any means, then by all means, why didn't God just save him? Why did he have to send for Peter? Listen to me. Why did he send for Peter? Folks, listen very carefully. It is because faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. And if Cornelius and all of his beloved family and friends, if they're ever going to get saved, it's going to be hearing the preached gospel of a resurrected Savior, Jesus Christ, and that's why he sent for Peter. Be very clear today. There is salvation by no other means than by faith in Jesus Christ. 
And the Bible says that faith comes by hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so here is Cornelius, and he's looking for a Savior. And here's all of his beloved friends and family, and they're looking for a Savior. And so God says, somebody better go get my preacher. They need to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why he sent for Peter. You can get excited about that later, I guess. People come along today and they say, well, you know what? God can do what he wants to do. He can save people any way he wants to. I had a, I had a crazy seminary professor say he can use the Muslim faith if he wants to. He can lead people to salvation any way he wants to. Listen, he can do what he wants to, but what did he do? He sent for a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ because there's no other means to be saved than by faith in a risen, resurrected Savior, the payment for sin, Jesus. And so that's why he sends for a preacher. Verse 33. So I sent for you immediately. Wow, Cornelius said, I didn't mess around. So I sent for you immediately, and you have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here. Listen to that sentence. Woo, this is awesome. We are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. We didn't mess around. We didn't waste time. We didn't say we'll do it next week. I sent for you immediately, and now here we all are present before God to hear all that you have commanded, been commanded by the Lord. Cornelius says, I sent for you immediately. And he says, and you've been kind enough to come. And now then we are all present here before God to hear what you've been commanded by the Lord. Now then we are all present here before God to hear what you've been commanded by the Lord. This is awesome. This is awesome. Cornelius says, we are here. And you are here. And we are before God. We are with God. To hear what you've been commanded. Well, there's a pretty big question. What was he commanded? What was he commanded? We, we sent for you and we're here and we're in your presence and we're here in the presence of God to hear what you've been commanded. What was he commanded? Listen very carefully. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus tells a group, listen, that includes Peter, and you shall be my witnesses. Jesus said to Peter, and you shall testify to me. In that group there in the formation of the church, Acts chapter 1, he says, and you, Peter, shall preach Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28 the, the group that also includes Peter, he says, and you will go and you will make disciples of all nations, not just the Jewish nation, but Jesus says, and you will make disciples of all nations. And Cornelius says here, God is here with us. God is present with us. I want to tell you, yes, he is, because Jesus says in this process, and lo, I'm with you always, even till the end of the age. And so Peter comes, and in the command of Jesus, he testifies of Jesus, and the Spirit of God is there, and he tells them of Jesus. Wow, just as he promised, God promised to Abraham, just as God commanded to Peter, how perfect it is. 
We're here. We're all here. We want to hear what God has commanded you. God commanded him to preach Jesus. One last thing and we're going to be done. I want to look at one last thing and we'll finish with this. Did you notice Cornelius says, wow, Cornelius is a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a real guy. Cornelius says this, you've been kind enough to come. I sent for you immediately and you've been kind enough to come. That's what Cornelius said. It literally translates, and you did well in coming. That word well means good. You did the good thing in coming. It was, it, was a, and it was a kind thing for you to come. That's what, that's what Cornelius says. And you did well. You were kind in your coming. Let me ask you a question. Who are you going to be kind enough to tell about our Savior, Jesus? Listen, I'm not looking in any other direction. I'm talking to us. Who will you be kind enough to tell about hope and forgiveness and peace and salvation by faith in Jesus Christ. Listen to me today, church. Surely we haven't become so hard that there's not somebody on our heart. Surely we haven't become so callous that we say, you know what, I, I'm saved and I've got that taken care of and I'll not worry of it. Surely we haven't become so set in our ways that we think, well, they'll run into a preacher somewhere. Maybe he'll tell them, who will you be kind enough to tell about Jesus? Will it be your brother or your sister or your cousin? Will it be your coworker? Will it be the neighbor down the street? Who will you be kind enough to tell about Jesus? Let me tell you this. Because outside of the, the knowledge of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will be lost. They will be lost. Who will you be kind enough to tell about Jesus? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come, and I'm thankful for your word today. I'm thankful for your truth today. I'm thankful for what we're seeing in these 48 verses unfold, that you're no respecter of persons, that all people come on equal footing, equal ground. There's nobody comes with a leg up with an edge. We come as sinners in search of a Savior. But I'm also thankful that you tell us how to be saved in the gospel, the good news of a risen Savior, Jesus. And I pray though the world will try to distort that, why some churches would mess that up and say maybe there's other ways to be, we'd be saved. You've told us very clearly it is in the gospel of Jesus Christ by trusting in him for your salvation that we're saved. I'm thankful for your truth. And Lord, I pray as we read this account, we see the example of Peter, the call of Cornelius, that we too would understand the church is a special thing the church is a supernatural thing. Lord, forgive us when we treat it like it's not. And Lord, I pray that in their example, we will be kind enough to tell somebody about Jesus, Lord. Help us to be kind enough to tell somebody about you. Lord, I pray if there's one here that doesn't know you this morning, I pray that today in the hearing of the good news, the gospel, as it, as it still stands and is offered today, I pray that today they might trust you. Pray for us here today that might have come cold and apathetic towards the church and your mission through the church. We will be taught and instructed today as well. Lord, I do pray that you would have your way today. 
We would be a submissive people today, a trained and learned people submitting to your will. I pray that you be known and you be glorified through it. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.